Do you know what type of doctor you want to be? With over 160 medical specialties and the rapid pace of medical school, choosing your final path in medicine can be challenging. MedicMap is here to help. Each episode features an interview with a practicing physician across a broad array of specialties and backgrounds. Tune in to discover the insights these professionals have to offer and to get all the juicy details to help you map your career in medicine. Happy listening! Hi everyone and welcome back to MedicMap for another episode. We've done a lot of subspecialties and specific disciplines over the past few episodes and I thought it would be nice to take a step back into generalism. So with that, we have Dr. Leanne Remke for an episode on general internal medicine. She's a clinical associate professor at the University of Calgary and the section head for GIM in the Calgary zone. I did a one-week placement with her and she was a wonderful mentor who offered a lot of learning strategies and academic support throughout my time in internal medicine. So without further ado, I introduce you all to Dr. Leanne Remke. Hi, Dr. Remke. So good to have you on the show. Could you start by telling our audience a little bit about your journey to internal medicine and what it's like to be an internist? Sure. So um, I started in medical school. I actually came from a pharmacy background. And so when I came into medicine, I was interested in pediatrics and internal medicine to begin with not so much the surgical specialties um, because I came from that background of doing research um, with clinical trials and um, I wanted to further that aspect of my career in internal medicine. And so when I was in medical school, I, I enjoyed my internal medicine rotations the most. And so I did as many electives in that area as I could. Um, but then I did a PGY one year and I was able to do everything, including surgical specialties. And I actually quite enjoyed general surgery and, and other things. I enjoyed doing, doing um, things. And um, medicine is generally more of a thinking, um, cognitive specialty. And, but there's now things that we do at the bedside, like POCUS, um, critical care skills, um, including central lines and pacemakers. And um, so I was, I kind of ended up doing that work early in my career in internal medicine. Um, What really attracted me to internal medicine was um, the versatility of uh, being able to um, decide where you're going to work and what your career is going to be like. And so it's been uh, very versatile. I could move across the country with my husband. I never had to worry about getting a job um, or um, having to get uh, major approval to get hired. Um, most hospitals across Canada really need general internists now. And um, so I liked the um, ability to be mobile, uh, to work anywhere that I wanted to, um, to have a really interesting inpatient and outpatient career, um, to do lots of varied things in my practice. That's why I was interested in internal medicine. Awesome. Um, So what was the reason that you decided I wanted to do general internal medicine as opposed to subspecializing in a specific specialty. Yeah. So general internal medicine is challenging, right? Because we don't have, we're undifferentiated. We see a lot of undifferentiated disease. So part of the um, uh, interesting part of that is you don't, 
know what the patient has when you first see them, right? So you have to do a full workup and it's like solving a puzzle. So I do that every day um, with many of my patients. And I, when I did my subspecialty rotations, after the block, you know, was advancing, I just found I got a little bit bored with seeing the same things over and over and over again. And quite often there's not as much diagnostic uncertainty. Um, now, some people don't like that because some people like to know what the diagnosis is and want to really work on the management. Um, but I really liked the puzzle and solving the puzzle um, part of their care. So, and and I like to see undifferentiated patients. You have to be a bit, uh, you have to be a bit comfortable with not knowing things initially. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there about generalism being so broad with the way that you have to think to approach each problem. It's not so much a system-based approach as it is a holistic approach. And then you narrow yourself down to what you think might be the root of the problem. And there might be multiple causes there as well. And you had this passion for internal medicine. You loved it during your clerkship and all of your electives. So how did you set yourself up to match in internal medicine? How did you set yourself up for success? So it was quite a long time ago, but I think probably the principles would be the same, right? Um, you really want to do as many rotations and electives in that area that you think you're interested in um, because it gives you connections and it also um, allows you to see other people work in that area. So different physicians, if you if you shadowed different colleagues or myself, we're going to give you a completely different experience with how our day is, even though we're doing the same type of work. There's lots of variability in that. So you want to be able to see that when you're making a decision um, about what specialty you're going to do or if you're going to do a specialty at all. So you want to expose yourself to a breadth of experience, but then also when you want to narrow in and figure out that's what you want to do, you want to do quite a bit of work in it so that you feel like you have a good understanding about what the work entails. Um, you want to see inpatient work and outpatient work because not all of the specialties have primarily inpatient work and you get exposed more to inpatient work in your training um, initially. So you want to do some things that show you what the whole breadth of that specialty is. Um, the other thing is you want to have some good references, right? So you want to work with people, if you can, who would be able to provide you with a good reference. Um, and so usually you can tell by when you work with with people, like how much, how detail-oriented they are, the feedback you get from them. Um, you know, when you look at your evaluations for your week or your block, you know, is this, is this good feedback that I'm going to be able to use on my CARMS uh, application, right? I think those are probably really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point because our elective times are coming up now in the next year, basically. Um, and I think there are a lot of students in my class as well who are showing interest in internal medicine. How would those students sort of stand out and set themselves up for the best in terms of wanting to match internal medicine? And like, based on what you've seen with applicants who are interviewing for these positions, um, what what are their electives like? Do they have a specific set of electives that you're like, this person's definitely interested. We definitely want this person on our team. Um, generally, like the interview is going to help a lot with that, right? Because you're going to be able to voice 
your reasons for why you want to do that specialty, which I think that's kind of the most important thing is why do you really want to do the specialty, right? What attracts you over something else? Um, you also don't want to put all your eggs in one basket too. So that's a nice thing about generalism is you're not really choosing cardiology or respirology right away, right? You could choose to be a generalist first and then make a decision after that about what you're going to do. Um, so I think coming out of medical school, choosing a generalist type program is actually quite a good strategy. So, you know, pediatrics, primary care and internal medicine gives you a good broad um, wealth of experience and then you can apply that later, right? Um, so obviously what you want to express to the people you're working with, why you really want to do um, the work that, that they're doing. And it's really good to interview them when you're on your rotations and say, why do you do this work? And what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? What do you find challenging? What do you think the challenges are coming up in the next like, five years, right? Um, what things in the system work well with your specialty and what don't? So interview the people you work with so that you have a good understanding. And when you go for your interviews, you can also um, show that you have a good understanding about what the profession is. Um, so I don't, I don't think um, the people we take into, I, th I think they're people we think have a good understanding about what we do and want to do the same type of work. I think that's kind of what it comes down to in the interview, right? We don't want to take people in and then have them decide they don't like this work um, because they haven't given it enough thought, right? So I think if you show that in your interview, your letters, um, and then you uh, go to your rotations with that kind of, uh, approach, the people you're working with will also recognize that you're quite keen to do that work in the future as well, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, with kind of recognizing and uh, appreciating the importance of transparency as well associated with the work, uh, what is your work-life balance and what does the general work schedule look like for you? So it's really changed throughout my whole career. When I first started and got out of my residency, I did ICU for about 10 years. Um, so I was really, really busy. I did call like every fourth, fifth night. Um, I loved that work though. It was really challenging and interesting. Um, and really I did everything. I worked in a bit smaller communities. So we kept a lot of our ICU patients in our own hospital. Uh, some we would transfer out who needed to go to bigger hospitals, but, um, there was a lot of ICU care that we did. That was, um, so it was a really busy inpatient practice. I didn't have too much of an outpatient practice. Um, when I became more in, so I was able to change my career throughout my lifetime. So after I did that work for a little while, there was a change in medicine in that critical care became its own specialty. And I, I had to decide as a general internist, was I going to be a general internist or critical care doc? And again, the same thing that happened in medical school where I didn't really want to do only one thing. I was really worried about only being a critical care doc. So I decided to leave my critical care role and become a general internist, but then I wanted more challenge. So I went back to school and did a master's of epidemiology. And then I decided I probably should be working in a tertiary care center <laughs> where I could maybe use some of my epidemiology. And so I ended up moving into an academic teaching job. And so that's been different. Um, again, it's really busy because the days are long. Um, now, 
medicine has to change in all specialties to allow more work-life integration. And, you know, we're challenged a little bit in the inpatient world, but when people are off, so we usually do a week of service at a time. When we're off, we're off. And people in my specialty do anywhere from like 10 weeks of inpatient service to some people do up to like 30 weeks of inpatient service. So you can balance your work-life integration by adjusting how many inpatient weeks you do. In the outpatient world, your total you have total control over that. You can book your clinic as much or as little as you want. I work for Health Canada two days a week. I do clinical trial drug reviews, and then I do office a couple days a week, and then I do administrative roles for the final day of the week. So when I'm not on service, I have a busy week, but I'm not on call. I have very reasonable days, and I have a lot of variety in the work that I do. Yeah, I think one of the things that we discussed uh, during my time with you was the variety in the work that you do. And something that I remember came up was your interest in functional medicine and uh, like health support as well. So how did you sort of integrate that into your schedule? And then you also mentioned that you're doing this academic role right now as well. How, how is that all integrated into your schedule? So everyone in Calgary zone, we're all, we all have an academic appointment for all the teaching hospitals. We don't have any non-teaching hospitals here in Calgary. So um, that academic role means we wear two hats. So we, we're, um, we're ed- many of us are educators on the MTU or um, even with um, the residency programs or the undergraduate medical education program. Um, we have an academic appointment. Some of the members in my section ha- do um a lot of research so they have protected time to do research and others are medical educators so they have um, leadership in medical education or they do research in medical education and then others have um, clinical leader type of roles and so i've always um, done leadership um activities such as site leads, schedulers. Now I'm, I do um, section lead for, the de- for general internal medicine in the Department of Medicine. So that's um, part of the administrative role that I do. Um, the, other, the other work that I do, like the Health Canada work, um, is a separately contracted, it's like a separate position. Um, I don't need a clinical appointment at the university to do that job. And then my work in the outpatient has really come from seeing that um, in the inpatient world, we deal with a lot of acute care medicine. And in medical school, you'll be exposed mostly to acute care medicine. But along the patient journey, there is about 10 year, almost a decade of complex chronic disease that many patients experience at the end of their life. And trying to address some of those risk factors for that falls into the area of weight management, lifestyle medicine, and functional medicine. Functional medicine is really good for trying to explain the root cause of disease, complex chronic disease. It doesn't really have a role. Those things don't really have a role in the acute care sphere. So that's why you don't get exposed to very much of that in medical school. Um, I had to do extra training to get 
experience in that. So I did my obesity medicine exams. I did my American College of Lifestyle Medicine exams. And I did my functional medicine certified practitioner program to try and balance out so I would be able to help patients in the outpatient clinic when they're facing a lot of complex chronic disease at the end of their life, trying to improve their symptoms and reduce their risk of um, having disease progression and the establishment of more chronic disease. Awesome. You have quite a bit of uh, skills under your belt and a lot of experience as well. And recognizing that, uh, do you find that you're being compensated well for the position that you're in and for all of the roles that you're involved in? So that's a bit variable. So the inpatient medicine and acute care pays very well. So that's why a lot of general internists work mostly in the hospital, because that's where you get the most remuneration. But as specialties go, we're very well remunerated. Um, so, you know, you're looking at anywhere from like the 350 to high 500 range, and those are median incomes. So they vary across Canada, depending what province you're in and depending what work you're doing. If you're in a rural setting and you're doing critical care, like I was doing at the beginning of the career, it's compensated very well. The, the work that's not very well compensated is the complex chronic disease management in the outpatient clinic, because it takes a lot of time to manage the patients. Um, as you, you know, the fact that I do all these different positions allows me to work more of on a, on a salaried position, which allows me to take on some of this work that some of my colleagues in a fee-for-service world would not be um, really that excited about doing from a compensation point of view. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's pretty challenging. It takes a long time to see the patients. Uh, that needs to change because that work we do in the outpatient world really impacts who shows up at the front door of the hospital. And once people show up with all their established chronic disease, it's hard to reverse that. So it's better if we try to prevent that. And that needs to change. And I think, um, you know, government funding uh, agencies are now starting the hard process of figuring out how to compensate primary care docs um, to try and do this really valuable work. So I think this is going to improve in the future. In the U.S., they now have um, billing codes that they can bill uh, for Medicare, at least, and Medicaid. They can actually get billing codes for doing this type of work, whereas before they couldn't. Are most uh, internal medicine doctors, are they basically given like a fee-for-service model or is it is it mostly salaried? How does that work in Alberta specifically? So in Alberta, um, it, it varies depending where you're, you're being hired to work. So uh, about a third of our docs in the Calgary Health region are working on a uh, salaried type of position where they have other activities, including research, education, administration, leadership. Um, we call those, those our care pillars. Um, and about two thirds are coming in on, are coming into our section as fee-for-service physicians. Uh, the very best thing I think in an academic world is to be an academic. So establishing an area of research or interest um, or an area that you wanna pursue would be, is highly supported now at this time. Um, and 
So I think probably it doesn't matter what type of physician you want to be coming into general internal medicine. You could be hired as a fee-for-service doc. But if you actually have research that you've done during your residency, uh, leadership skills, those can be continued under a salary position in the future. And there should be more salary positions coming forward uh, and available to people. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that's the case. And that'll be amazing for a lot of people who are going into uh, general internal medicine. What are some of the perks of general internal medicine? Oh, I think the perks of being a generalist is that you don't have to be a specialist, right? If there's something or a disease condition you don't really want to deal too much with, you can try to focus your practice in the outpatient world. The inpatient world, you can't do much about it because it, you know, you're really helping the hospital out um, and taking a lot of the patients when they come into the hospital. Um, the other thing is you have a really good uh, view of the whole system that patients exist in, which means that you have strong skills for leadership. Um, so you're an excellent system navigator generally. So you usually know how to get people worked up and, and kind of to the right doc and into the right you know, category of physicians to deal with them and carry on the, the work chronically. Um, most of us do not have chronic patients that we've that we follow forever, right? We usually see people at a certain point in time and deal with the acute issues and be a consultant, and then that goes back to the primary care doc for long-term management. So the fact that you can be a consultant is very attractive, um, and then keep the patient as long as you want. So some of my some of my patients, because of their other comorbidities, I do keep them longer in the outpatient. Uh, realm, but in the inpatient realm, we're really just dealing with acute issues. Um, the portability is amazing. You can really go anywhere to work. And when, as a physician, when you're looking for a job, so if you have special skills that you need hospital resources for, most hospitals will ask for an impact assessment before you get hired, meaning how much money is it going to cost us to have you come and work at our site? Um, because general internists are very cost effective for the system. Um, there's, I've never ever seen a situation where the impact assessment has been denied. So there's usually if we want to bring people on to work, there's usually no barriers to bringing them on. Um, and that's really true. I've, I've moved to cities without any work because my husband got transferred twice and I had to just pick up and leave and move and never had to worry about finding work in the new center. Um, there's always, there's always work that needs to be done. So I think that's really valuable. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And to make sure we're not completely overlooking the other side of things, are there any pitfalls or cons to internal medicine? Well, I think that the drawback for some people might be, some people might feel uncomfortable with the undifferentiated aspect of the work. Um, some people also might not like the fact that um, we do like a lot of inpatient work, right, for the hospital. So um, you have to be a little flexible in wanting to take on patients. You know, there's no real defined specific patient that is a true patient of a general internist. We can look after any adult, right? So, you know, because of that, our census is high in the hospital and we have a really big hospital workload. Um you know, the other side is we get paid quite well for doing that work. But, you know, some people would rather have a smaller number of patients with defined medical problems. So it, it kind of depends on 
what you feel comfortable looking after. Right. Okay. And uh, what kind of student would excel in internal medicine? What What are the qualities that you look for? I think that I, I, I think, well, obviously strong students do well because they tend to ha handle the variability in the um, number of clinical um, conditions they're seeing quite well. However, you don't have to be like a super strong student. Um, to do. I was never, I wasn't like the gold medalist, like, you know, internal medicine attracts the gold medalist, but I, that wasn't really me. I was just a strong student who worked hard um, and then qu quite curious about what you're seeing and do a lot of reading around cases. And as time goes on, you'll develop your foundation and your ability to look after a number of different chronic conditions. Um, so yeah, it does attract for the superstars. I was a little bit anxious myself about being in a group of just superstar um, students, right? Because I was just really worried that um, I wouldn't be able to keep up to them. <laughs> and um, I don't think after seeing now students in training, you know, students who work hard, who are interested, who read around their cases, the foundation comes over time. If it's not, it's hard to judge yourself as a medical student because you're really just starting the profession. So if you have really good skills um, along those lines, you're going to keep um, developing your knowledge base, right? And I've always viewed my profession as one long, continuous um, medical education journey, right? So it's just been one CME event after another for many years. And after you do that, you get better at it. So I think all you need to do is be hardworking, um, really be interested in the patients you look after, and ask questions and read around your cases, which sounds like something you've heard a thousand times, but at, over time, <laughs> you end up building, building this big uh, knowledge foundation, which is really great to be at at some point. Yeah, you bring up a really good point about like the imposter syndrome associated with anything in medicine. I think that one of the toughest things is when you're surrounded by people who are doing so well and just doing so much, you constantly feel like you're behind. But in some cases, you kind of just have to recognize that your success isn't dependent on someone else's success, right? It's all an independent journey. And that's kind of how you have to take a look at things. And it's, it's hard. It's easier said than done. But thank you for recognizing that also. And one last question for you before we end. I know you've given a lot of advice already, and it's been great advice. But if there's one piece of advice that you could give our listeners to take away from this particular episode, what would you say? Don't forget the patient journey. I think medicine is very siloed, right? We, you see people working on one organ system. And it's not serving patients well when we don't care for other aspects of their care, right? And it's making them see 15 different specialists. And so really, there's a high value need for generalism in our system. And our system will collapse if it doesn't have generalism in it. It's the glue that holds everything together. And um, so even if you are decide to do a subspecialty, be very open to learning other things outside your subspecialty. And so you can provide the best care for your patients and really enhance their patient journey. Because that's really what it's all about. Because someday we'll all be patients in this system. And if we all have that view of let's make it as good as we can make it for everyone, it'll also be there for us when we need it. 
That's very wholesome advice. I appreciate that. And thank you so much for being on the episode and for all of your candid and transparent responses. I know that the students will really, really appreciate this and gain a lot of value from it as well. So thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Good luck, everyone.